0: The Capital Weekly Podcast is a production of Open California and is sponsored by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.
1: Uh, Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by my colleague, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And Gloria Sandoval, Deputy Director of Public Affairs at the California State Parks, our special guest today. Uh, Gloria, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Everybody loves parks. So this isn't exactly a hardball interview. <laughs> Everybody loves parks. So one question I've got, um, what's the best way I can get to the, to my favorite park? I understand that reservations are really tight. Even as we come out of the pandemic, that's actually also on you to talk about that as well. As we exit from the pandemic, parks are going to be more popular than ever, I suspect, especially for overnight camping. Um, what's your advice? How do I get into my favorite park? Julia Pfeiffer Burns State Park down in, uh, down in uh, Big Sur.
2: That is actually one of our most popular parks, that one along with McBurney uh, Falls up north. And, you know, I would phrase it this way. The positive outcome of COVID is that there are more people know about state parks. But that also re- results in higher visitation in our parks. So right now, pretty much across the board, um, all of our parks are re- receiving a ha- higher visitation. Pre-COVID, I would have given you the advice: go during the week, you know, avoid the holiday weekends. Uh-huh. Uh, go into inland parks instead of the coastal parks. Right now, because of the limited entertainment opportunities for Californians because of the pandemic, uh, people are really um, connecting with the outdoors. You know, spending out t- uh, time with their families, and a, a lot of our parks, actually all of our parks across the board, are, are receiving high visitation. So um, I would still encourage the public to try to go during the week. Uh, but definitely anybody who's going outdoors right now, have a backup plan. You know, do your research, go online. If you're going to Pfeiffer Falls, like you said, you know, maybe explore other parks that are in the area. And you may be surprised at the beauty and, and the resources that you may, you may encounter during your visit.
1: Now, all the reservations are made online, typically are made online. It's not a question of phoning somebody or mailing in like in the old days um what kind of internet traffic what kind of online traffic or reservation traffic are you seeing now as people go online i assume a lot of them go online at the same time so
2: yes it's uh you know the demand for campsites uh, definitely exceeds the the inventory that i have that we have and this is even pre-pandemic um there are many Uh, campsites that that book up, you know, quickly in the morning. We as a department have implemented a number of measures to make it easier for people to make reservations online and also prevent other people from taking advantage of the system. Nevertheless, because the demand greatly exceeds the inventory. Sometimes it is difficult for people that, you know, sometimes are on computer every single morning, trying to book a reservation. It's it's very difficult for people to book reservations right now. Um, but one of the neat things about our reservation system is that we entered into a third party partnership with HIPCAMP and they could also um, help us and help our visitors uh, figure out what cancellations have taken place you know what is the availability of campground sites at certain parks so definitely explore reserve california website for tips but i, I do want to you know let everybody know that because of the pandemic because of you know um the the demand exceeding our inventory it is a little bit more difficult right now to book those reservations
1: do, do many of the same rules apply at the parks as they do say at home or in an urban environment where you wear a, you typically wear a mask, you go into a store, you wear a mask, you go in a public event, you wear a mask. A lot of people don't wear a mask when they're out sort of walking out in the street, for example, but many do. What about the parks? Are, are masks required or if not, when are they not?
2: They, they are required. Since the beginning of the pandemic, we've, we've been working really closely with local and state public health officials to make sure that people understand those requirements are in the state park system. Currently what the requirement um, entails is that everybody uh, needs to wear a face covering when they're indoors. That means if they're visiting a museum, visitor center or a store they have to wear a face covering Uh for those that are fully vaccinated the face coverings are not required outdoors except when you're attending a crowded event so that's one of the key things that people should keep in mind when they're visiting the outdoors if you go to a park and there's a lot of people there there's limited parking we're really strongly advising people to go to another park or to come back and visit us at another time because we're still dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and it's still important for everybody um, to, you know, protect each other, our communities, and also our employees that are out there outdoors, you know, cleaning the restrooms and just keeping our, our parks clean okay. for those that are not uh, vaccinated. Uh, the, the face coverings are required. Anytime physical distances, physical distancing is, is not, cannot be maintained. So there's still, you know um, guidelines that we have in place for, for face coverings. How'd you guys do? Uh,
1: Tim and I were talking about this earlier when we were talking about the podcast. How did uh, how did state parks do on the budget? We're thinking, well, if if um, attendance was down and traffic at the at the camps was down, therefore fees for operational expenses and money coming in would be cut. Uh, how's it look for you in the budget this year? There's a lot of dough out there, but I haven't heard parks mentioned at all. They're not being Same. covered like a lot of the sexier items, you know.
2: So. We definitely are getting the full support of the administration, and we have a number of uh, new programs that we're going to be, uh, hopefully, if the budget passes, um, providing to the public. Sure. But definitely, this administration truly understands the need for people to connect to the outdoors, and they're providing us the support that the department needs in order for us to, to make those important connections. Well,
1: pre-pandemic, I was looking at numbers, I think it was on your website, um, about 75 million attendants during the course of the year for everybody. it was 2019, so this is pre-pandemic, I think. Uh, are those numbers, you think, going to hold true going forward, or do you expect more of a surge coming back as people? You kind of touched on this earlier.
2: You know, it's, it's unknown at this time, once everything is fully reopened in California, what that's going to mean for the state park system. But we definitely did see uh, an increase in visitation compared to previous years. Typically, our summer season is the busiest throughout the entire year, especially during the um, Memorial Day weekend, Fourth of July and Labor Day weekend. Those are our, our most popular weekends throughout the state park system. But with the pandemic, we saw a higher um, increase in visitation even earlier in the year in spring. So definitely, that, that the, those numbers, the visitation numbers, will be higher for la- last year, twenty 2020 twenty, and twenty
1: twenty one. Most of the state parks that I saw listed on, uh, on on the state parks listing of their of their locations, there were two hundred eighty, I think, and three hundred and forty miles of coastline I I mean you've got all kinds of stuff going on and then what was it uh 4,500 miles of of hiking trails (laughs) um so with all that you're covering do how does how does security work there do you have I don't know state park police are there state park officers is there you know a security component to this for the state parks
2: we, we definitely do. We have what we call state park peace officers and they serve either as rangers or lifeguards. Um, one of the, the, the key things is that people, when they think of lifeguards, they don't think that they're peace officers or that they c- carry guns. They actually do because, you know, our parks are like little cities and we have, you know, issues whether people, you know, are getting lost, there's rescues. Um, if we need to, you know, um, if there's a fight that we have to control. Definitely we do have trained peace officers that help Protect public safety in the state park system, and as a matter of fact, this past Wednesday, um, our largest cadet class graduated. We had forty; we now have forty-four new uh, state park peace officers that will be serving in the state. Um, And it's not only about just you know them being peace officers; they also help interpret interpret you know uh, interpret all of the um, programs, all of the resources, um, the key things that people find in our park. So it's not just a peace officer. It's interpretation. It's connecting with people, you know, in the outdoors, spending time talking to kids about, you know, the importance of tide pools, the importance of staying on designated trails because we want to make sure that we protect all of our resources. So they, they do a little bit of everything because our parks are definitely definitely unique um, in their own way. And um, you know, people people are surprised when they go to different places. You know how much diversity there is in our state park system.
1: I was looking at the fees too. Most of the fees. Uh, for overnight stays, I guess this overnight camping, most of these are about 10 bucks. There were some that were 12 bucks. There were a couple that were uh, for group fees. I didn't know you did this, but like, for example, at Angel Island, there are certain areas of Angel Island for day use fees were 300 bucks, 350 for groups of people. Miwok Meadows was another one I think was 300 bucks or so. Do you get a lot of groups of that size coming in paying fees? You know that yes that's a lot of dope.
2: definitely oh definitely uh our again because our state park system is very unique those fees vary from park unit to park unit uh, but you know for example for camping the the fees range from like ten dollars a night for primitive sites to a hundred a night for double you know for a double rv hookup uh, for lodging which are cabins uh, which are parks some of them have cabins um, the prices are, are also, you know, different. Um, all this information, it's on reservecalifornia.com. It's, it's available even before you book, any, you know, a site. So definitely um, we encourage people to go to that site. Um, and as an example for parking fees, uh, Prairie City, you know, state vehicular recreation area, which is about 20 miles east of Sacramento, they charge $5 for parking a day. Uh, Marshall Gold Discovery site, which was the first place where gold was found in California, yeah. um, that's about $10 a car. A, a car. And in our state railroad museum, which is here you know, in Sacramento, um, the admission fee is $8 for adults and five for youth. So as you could see, there's a difference there um, on the prices, but all of this information is available on site on our website.
0: And you, you also have uh, like an annual pass, because I know I get that Uh, I go swimming. And so January 1st, I was like, I'm going to get the most out of my pass. So I went and I bought a pass on January 1st and went swimming out at the lake. And, uh, you know, I want to say I can't remember was $70. Is that right? Is that the cost of an annual pass?
2: I have to go back and look at the prices. But those passes are definitely the best way you could give a gift to somebody for a birthday, for Christmas, Um, some of them. you know, are for beaches, other ones are for, you know, a certain number of uh, parks, they're not too expensive. We also have a pass, which is a golden bear pass for low income families, where they could fill out an application. Um, and I believe the cost is about $5. And then they're able to go out there and, you know, and, and enjoy the parks. Part of the May revise proposal from the governor does include that it's it's um, uh Three programs, one is for fourth graders where they could go um, to our state parks for free free with their families. The other one is the low income pass where we could work with CalWORKs to make that pass more easily available for the recipients. So there's definitely a lot of ways that this administration and our department are promoting equitable access.
0: Where do people go to apply for the low income pass?
2: On our website, parks.ca.gov. And then just click on visit a park, or visit a park and then you'll mm-hmm. see the link for the passes.
1: Oh, okay, that's great. Do the do the passes, the annual passes, uh, is that per car, or so? For example, a couple in a car going in would that cover both of them? It's or, per car. It's per car. Correct,
2: it's per car. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what do you think is the most? I know Julia Pfeiffer Burns is popular, I I think, but what do you what would you say is the most popular park site? Uh, state park in the state in terms of attendance and visitation, that kind of thing.
2: Um, I don't know if we have a specific one, but definitely one that's in the top three is Bernie Falls, which is up north. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to go up there. It's it's a waterfall. It's beautiful. I've been there. Um, you could either, you know, go there just for the day or if you just want to go take photos, or if you want to go hiking. Uh-huh. There's also an area for camping and um and and uh, a is lake
1: Bernie nearby. Valley- Is Bernie Falls uh, near Bernie? Is it off of 299 near Redding? Is it that area? Yes,
2: it's around the the Redding area, correct? Uh, Yes. Okay. And it's so popular because social media um, has been great for our department to share information with the public. But it's also been a place where people share photos. And some of our visitors are amazing photographers, and they take some amazing photos. So they share them online. But what happens is that people want to go to those sites to take their own photos. And Bernie Falls, unfortunately, sometimes has a two to three hour wait on the road before going into the park. Oh, wow. And sometimes that could cause some hazards. Some people illegally park along the road, which, which could also be hazardous not only for themselves, for other people that are waiting in line. So that's why at the beginning of this interview, I shared that it's really important that when people start planning their outdoor trips, that they go online, look at what some other parks are nearby. That way, when you visit, for example, Bernie Falls, and you know, it's it's packed, and you can't get in, um, you could go to another park and then come back later to see whether or not you know, that line is a little bit shorter. Um, And it's not only I mean, our parks, we have 280 state parks, but we also have national parks, you know, local parks, there's so much out there that people could really, you know, enjoy. And that's why we want to make sure that people do their homework beforehand, plan ahead, find out what guidelines are in place, if uh, parking restrictions are in place as well, um, because we really want to do our part to mitigate um, the spread of of the pen, of the virus, the COVID nineteen
0: yeah, virus. Do you have uh, calling you out here? Uh, do you have a particular favorite park that's maybe not? It's off the beaten path. It's not one of the real popular ones, but one you personally really like. Uh, you you, you tell people to go check
2: out. You know, I I get asked this question a lot. What is your favorite park? And it always changes every time I go to another park. Oh, yeah. um, but but one that's really off the beaten path that I believe, because I didn't even know about it, is Castle Craigs. Oh, it's, yeah. it's in that direction up north. That is a beautiful park. I mean, talk about just being pristine uh, and having some amazing trails and, and views and waterfalls. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful park. But another one that's on the top of my list is Prairie um, Creek. State Park, it's way up north. Um, it's a beautiful park. I mean, there's even camping there on the beach, but the ferns and then just the tranquility, the peace that you find yourself in, it's, it's a beautiful park. And it's so much greenery um, and some amazing, some amazing redwood trees there. Um, so those would be well, my two right. that I really love. But again, I have, it always changes
0: <laughs> you know, depending so, on
2: which park I go to.
0: One of the strangest state parks, I think, is Columbia which is a functioning town, but the entire town is a state park. And it's a little bit like, you know, everyone here knows old Sacramento. So it's a little like that, but it's like just old Sacramento. There's nothing else around it. It's just this tiny little town with uh, the raised board sidewalks and all that. And it is, you go there and it's very weird because it's, it's kind of like a state, it's almost like a movie set. It is a really interesting place. And I was quite surprised when I discovered that the whole town is a state park. Mm -hmm. I thought, how does this work bureaucracy in any town is enough, but I can't imagine how you, uh, how you live or operate a business in a town that is a state park. I was kind of fascinated when I stumbled into it.
2: You know, one of them, um, I went there for Christmas and it's beautiful. They just decorated like, if you know, the, the way that they used to decorate it back in the day. And, you know, they have candy canes there. Um, you go into the coffee shop and get some coffee just walk around. It's, it's truly a, a unique place and it definitely takes you back into time.
0: Yeah. Have you ever been there, John? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, well,
1: I've been to the town of Columbia. I didn't know it was a state park. Yeah, that's it. And I think, isn't Columbia near Jamestown? Um, I, think I think it is. I know it's 49. Because that's okay. what they filmed Back yes. to the Future 3.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, <laughs> Not that I know, you know. But but it was a weird place. But I remember trying to do a story on that feature. Because they really transformed this little town in the in the foothills. And the producers, direct, the nobody would talk to the press. I was at AP then. Nobody would talk to us. <laughs> and everything was a sealed set, you know. But it's supposed to be beautiful. Columbia is supposed to be beautiful, and you know, sounds pretty cool. You mentioned Prairie Creek, and that is one of the few places you can actually camp on the beach, right? A person can overnight yes. camp right on the sand. Is that? Are there others out there? Used to be able to do it, and I think uh, San Clemente, Seapiece down in San Diego. I don't think you can do it now, though. But I don't know. Um,
2: I don't have the list off the top of my head, but I do know that down south there are some campsites. Not quite sure how close they are to the ocean um but definitely prairie creek that those those campsites are right like on the sand um, uh-huh. and if you if you wake up in the morning you may be surprised by some elk uh, when uh-huh. i went there they were just you know walking around like nothing um and there was campers there so it's truly a, a if you really want to take a look at our our natural resources prairie creek is one of those parks that is just very rich with that and um you know, and just our trees, our redwood trees, they're amazing. And that's one perfect park to go to to, to view them.
1: Do you see any uh, increase in fees coming? I know no. everywhere just seems so. Yours are pretty stable, or you expect them to stay stable. Huh?
2: At this time, they're, they remain the same. And I haven't, you know, honestly heard anything about increasing fees. Ah,
1: okay. Um, if I go to a park that's popular, how much, how long in advance do you think I have to make reservations? How, how long is it? I I assume I can't just call Friday for camping on Saturday or something. So what kind of lead time do I need? Do you think actually,
2: actually you can now with the new reservation system, you could just go online and see if something is available next weekend because somebody might've canceled, you know, their reservation. Okay. But definitely right now with our current reservation, you could go online six months ahead of your um, camping date to see what's available. Mm
1: -hmm. Um does the availability of the parks depend on you know you mentioned the holidays so I guess Memorial Day and July 4th so they're crowded then so if I can get during the week if I can get off during the week and go to two days I've got a better shot at getting into a space typically. correct yeah yes
2: correct and, I'll, and you may also have a better shot in staying at a at an inland park um, oh. our coastal parks that they they fill up quickly um I'll give you an example. Crystal Cove State Park. We have a couple of cottages there, and there's there's only a limited number of them, so it's very difficult to get, a, you know, a spot in those cottages. Uh, but if you go inland to some of the parks that people may not even know about, you may get lucky. Here in the Delta, a lot of people don't know that there is a state recreation area. It's Brandon Island, and it's off of um, Highway 12 um, by, by Rio Vista, oh, wow. and okay. it's it's a really great place to go just for the day just go go and ha- you know have a picnic go fishing and it is a state recreation area
1: there's somebody like mm-hmm. brandon trapped right in the del- in the
2: delta there that's in the delta it's operated by uh, we have a number of parks that are operated by partners that's an example of one but it is a state recreation area
1: the federal park system obviously is separate but is there any interchange if i buy a pass for the state park system do would federal parks honor it or i have to get a separate pass to go to federal parks. How's that
0: work?
2: At this time we don't have a partnership like that with the National Park Service. And you would have to, you know, purchase a separate pass. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Right. And I can tell you from experience, be careful about leaving your national parks pass in your car, because when someone breaks into your car and steals it, you're out. (laughs) <laughs> I had it like two weeks I come in like, Hey, why is my, uh, why is my, my apartment open? Like, yeah, just not long ago. Somebody um, got in, I, I forgot to lock our car and somebody, uh, somebody in and rifled through. And they, I was like, they took my parks pass. I oh, just no. bought it. I'd only had it like two weeks <laughs> well, they got 345 days of park pass out of me. So, so yeah, oh, you no. be careful with them.
1: <laughs> Gloria, thank you so much for chatting with us about state parks. Uh, really enjoyed it. Now I know how much I can afford, and how, what places I can go to. And uh, it's time for Tim and I now to talk about who had the worst week. The worst week. Worst week.
0: Worst week.
1: As usual, there's several candidates out here, but I I think by uh, our scientific method, we came up with uh, Kevin
0: McCarthy. What do you think? You know, I, I do think probably it is Kevin McCarthy. He did not have, I don't think he had a good week. Yeah. I made a strong argument for Doug Manchester, who is a political donor down in Southern state and a pretty good story actually kind of broke last week that he's being investigated for some donations uh, in his hopes of getting an ambassadorship, which never did happen during the Trump administration. And by my rid of the story, he could be in some trouble. And I, If I was him, my butt would be getting tight. But, you know, what do I know? I'm not rich. He's rich. He could probably afford it and maybe not worry about it. But uh, I think he probably uh, has
1: about as much chance of getting an ambassadorship as I do.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So uh, but I do think uh, in the higher profile, uh, Kevin McCarthy did not have a good week. I mean, you have 35 members of your caucus uh, basically give you the finger after he had whipped them to vote his way on the January 6th commission, that's not a good sign for Republican unity, which is what he was really going for.
1: Mm -hmm. And they've had a closed door caucus, the the conference they call it back there, the Republican conference had met and he was hoping for unanimity and thought I think he had it uh, and did not when the actual vote came. That doesn't mean that commission, that vote on an independent commission to investigate January 6th is actually going to fly Is it's going into the Senate now where its future is grim at best. But nonetheless, as a test of his leadership, uh, it didn't look good. Now, he wanted to be Speaker in 2015. And he ran into some problems, uh, personal problems. He also ran into a big problem with the Benghazi hearings. And he publicly was quoted as acknowledging that they were political. And that they were out to get to sink Hillary. That's not the kind of thing you want from your leader. He looked bad then. This looks like another... Example where he might be putting his foot in his mouth when he declares Republican unity. So Kevin wasn't that good a week for you.
0: Yeah, he'll come back. That guy, yeah. that guy. It, Kevin McCarthy has been around, you know, for years and years and years. And, and it's funny, we years ago we realized. Hey, when he came into office here in California as a state elected official, he was Rookie of the Year. California Journal named him Rookie of the Year. It's funny that we talked to A.G. Block, who said, I don't remember that, but uh, I don't remember him being that good. And actually, A.G.
1: looked that up. He actually looked that up for me because when there was a shot, he was going to be speaker. We were doing a story on that to talk about that, you know, the Californian who would be speaker. He's from Bakersfield, which is about as close to, say, Texas. As an oil patch area that you can find in California. It really does look like Texas. Uh, And he didn't get it, but we went into a bit of his history, and you're right. He was Rick of the Year because of his networking skills. And that was pretty much, uh, it wasn't unanimous, but the acclamation for him on his ability to network uh, members of his caucus, members of his party, was pretty amazing. I mean, sending flowers to the wives of the members, remembering the kids' birthdays, Really pretty you think high. he's the anti-Bernie Sanders? Yes, absolutely. You know, There's no curmudgeon Kevin, you know. Um, anyway, so we'll see how this plays out. But it could have been a better week for him, for sure. Yeah. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thanks, John. Uh, again, this is John Howard saying adios, and we'll see
0: you on the next podcast. Bye-bye. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.